Welcome, listeners, another episode of Unverified Accounts for You. And this is Chris along with Philip. Hey, Philip. Hey, man. How you doing? So this is a boys rule girls drool episode uh, for the first time <laughs> we're potting without liza it was thanksgiving so giving her some time off you know she works yeah. hard so yeah and for all another first time i think this is the first time we're actually talking about books on this podcast that's right yeah i mean like in on on previous i guess planning episodes when we did you know proto unverified chats we had a lot of books but this is the first book one for us here Yes, and it is something that we wanted to do when we were conceiving of this pod because, I mean, um, we both read uh, and I I think people should just read more or at least talk about books because there's really no other medium like it, the amount of uh, things you can say. So on this episode, the book we're going to talk about is a book that came out in 2015, Private Citizens by Tony Tula Tumuti, which stands out because I I still think um, after five years has been published, still think it's, it's the most honest book into Asian America, particularly into the minds of straight Asian American men. And I think that's just very sorely lacking in, in Asian American literature. I think too much of Asian American literature is, is, is held back, always what I like to call this quality of constantly looking over our shoulders, uh, like, like we're going to get in trouble by the teacher if we say something too real or whatever. Is that, is that what you mean by honest? Like, do you mean that like, we feel pressured to be dishonest about our experiences because like, the really deep, shitty stuff is just too cringe or too, you know, just like not worth sharing? Or like, what, what do you mean by honest in this case? I think it's held back. I don't think it's necessarily lying. I, I, don't, I don't think we do that, but I think a lot of books will there show certain aspects of ourselves we want people to read right right and then when we do try to talk about the dark stuff we we don't really go all the way and it's exemplified in a couple of asian american books i read recently both of which came out this year one is called white ivy by Susie yang which came out just i think a couple of weeks ago and mm-hmm. another one is new ways by kevin wen which came out i think all the way back in spring uh both of these books honestly disappointed me white ivy more so just because i was expecting it expecting more from it just to give the readers a quick uh synopsis white ivy has been billed as this kind of like asian american version of uh patricia highsmith's uh, the talented mr ripley in which the the protagonist is this like ruthlessly or supposedly ruthlessly conniving social climbing uh, asian american woman who becomes obsessed with this uh childhood classmate who is essentially like a young kennedy type and she'll like do uh, everything to try to try to get with him and and you know ingratiate herself with his wealthy white family. Mm-hmm. So like I'm reading the synopsis, I'm like, oh god, another one of these stories. But I, I was I heard people comparing it to something like Parasite, and I've always been fascinated what an Asian American <laughs> parasite would look like. Like, would we be as like raw and just just like push the boundaries like Bong Joon Ho mm-hmm. did? Mm-hmm. So I, I was very excited to read this book but it's so tepid it just i i'm reading through it and like this is supposed to be the the malevolent character like this just kind of seems like a normal insecure asian american um and then uh, the other book new waves i didn't have a ton of expectations for uh synopsis it's about this young asian american guy he works in tech albeit in, in like customer service his best friend is a black woman who's a brilliant engineer at the same company she Mm -hmm. dies mysteriously and um like the last thing they did was uh together was steal a bunch of data from their company but it's not really about that it's it's just more about him uh just i guess kind of grieving her over her death and um i read it very quickly uh because it's 
it was engaging on the level that hey, at least it's a story about like a like a straight Asian American guy in New York City, so I could relate. Mm-hmm. But again, there's like just no insight into it. Like there's mentions of obvious racism stuff, like oh, you know these these um you know those fast casual bowl places. This is capitalist cultural appropriation. It's racist, and people talk very bluntly in terms of race, like in that Twitterese language. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some mention of like because it's an Asian man and a black woman, like you know, obviously mentions of dating, but never really goes in any deeper. Eh, whatever. Yeah, is it? I, I actually didn't realize both the books came out this year. Like White Ivy, I actually was aware of because I saw a review for it in like a, a newspaper, like the Globe. Um, but like the like you don't are, are we seeing more of them because of just you know I don't know if this is considered YA, but like more more interest in YA from POC or is this just a random blip? Because you seem to have a good pulse on this stuff, Chris, right? Like when you introduced me to the book we're going to talk about, uh, Private Citizens, but like I'm like completely unaware of these things because they don't get a lot of publicity unless you're into the literary world. So like, is there some, you know, is there some refound, like renewed interest in all this stuff, like possibly because of all the representation stuff that's been happening, Crazy Rich Asians, all that, you know, all those things over the last few years? Or is it just a blip of like two books coming out? Uh, I don't know if it's like a big thing. I mean, neither of these books are YA. I mean, uh, the, the, yeah. the, bore, uh, the boundaries between YA and, and like, I guess, regular, even literary fiction can be very hard to distinguish. Like, I, I like in terms of reading level, I don't know what this, you know, a book like New Ways, I don't know how it's that different from, say, Frankly in Love. Yeah, uh, which is why, which, yeah, squarely. Except for the ages of the protagonists, but, uh, you know, so it, it's all marketing, I think. I don't think it's been, like, some huge wave, but, you know, every, every year there will be, like, a handful of Asian-American books. And and to be frank, it, it's often the kind of, like, the same themes, and n- none of them are really that exciting in terms of, you know, plumbing new depths. Except for Private Citizens, I, I still, like, keep coming back to this book because there's so, as we'll talk about, you know, in our upcoming discussion, there are some passages in it which are just so still you know so oh so good mm-hmm. I, I bring up the like is there a trend thing going on because i'm, I'm kind of curious like it'd be sad if all the different you know things that happened over the trump era trying to put more people of color in the spotlight for media writing etc still resulted in the same bullshit from asian american content creators and writers right because um, yeah. that's what that's what you're kind of saying for these two books that just came out here around the same time was like they're not really, you know, there's more books by more, you know, more diverse voices, whatever, but they're not actually saying anything interesting. Yeah. I mean, uh, a sad fact is uh, when I was reading White Ivy, it reminded me a lot of Free Food for Millionaires, a book mm-hmm. I love. That mm-hmm. came out in 2007. So it, it's been like 13 years. And this book <laughs> that's supposed to be this, you know, cutting edge, uh, vicious, uh, you know, Explore, like psychological exploration is actually more tepid than a, a more literary uh, society novel that came out in 2007. So it's like, come on, what are we afraid of? Let, let just, let, let just, you know, just lay it out there. Okay, well, here, here's a here's a question then. Like, the I don't know if you read much of like, you know, big clusters of books from other kind of diverse groups, like you know, black authors, Latino authors, LGBT authors. But do they also have the same problem where they're like? you know, not being completely honest or completely uh, getting into like dark areas of their, their experiences. And also like, do they, did they make progress over the decades? Um, to be honest, you'll have to ask a, a more learned scholar on that. Um, I haven't read too much on, you know, like black literature, especially like contemporary black literature. So, yeah. Hey, that might be an episode for uh, a future pod. Um, 
uh, our friend Arnov, uh, whom I talk a lot about books with, he has some very interesting things to say about uh, like South Asian, like diasporic literature. Mm-hmm. And um, well, let's wait until he actually comes on the pod because I, I think it's worth hearing it directly from him. Uh, that's really interesting. And hey, listeners, um, if if you actually want us to do an episode on, like, say, White Ivy or New Waves, just let us know. Uh, I know I try to get <laughs> Philip and Liza to maybe um, do an episode on on White Ivy, but uh, they weren't that interested. So we'll see. I was like, you read it first and tell me if it's worth it. And you said no. So <laughs> this this is a review right here. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I really wanted to like the book, um, but unfortunately, I couldn't. Uh, so, yeah, just have to be honest. All right, well, let's talk about a book that we do like then. Yeah, all right. So here's our uh, discussion on private citizens. I hope you enjoy, and hopefully this will be the first of many episodes on books. Yeah, that's my beer pouring level. You're drinking beer, not, not Campari? I thought we were sticking to the will theme. I, I had, um I had I actually checked my bar and I had some, um, what should I call it? Uh, the stuff you put in um, April, April. Um, but I had just a small amount, and I didn't have whatever else is needed to make a spritz. So I decided to have a uh, uh, some Canadian whiskey. Oh, sweet! Our listeners, just in case you're wondering what the fuck we're talking about, so uh, <laughs> this book we're going to discuss, Private Citizens, has this character named Will, whom we're really going to focus on in our discussion, and he's, he's he has a lot of uh, issues, uh, you know resentments and stuff so philip actually asked me you know what should we drink in honor of will mm-hmm. and i suggested i don't know i'm thinking of something like bitter so like campari and uh philip said he might actually have it uh me i just i just had some tonic water left over so i just went to the local liquor store and got my ten dollar bottle of gin called nikolai you know russians famous inventors and consumers of gin i think it's probably just vodka they just Per, sprayed some perfume that smells like gin um but no, you hey, can tell the difference ten... between vodka and gin that's an easy one right vodka and tequila yeah, it's 10 bucks, be... so i can't i can't complain yeah all right so let's let's talk about this book and i mean the reason we are talking about this book one of the things uh that we want we're pushing on the show is just like more honest and you know and if necessary dark dialogues about being you know minorities or any kind of like i guess what you call marginalized identities and this book i think is one of the very few if not the if not the only novel out there that really does this with respect to modern asian american straight male identities and experiences and uh philip you were talking about how when we were doing that pod for escape from plan a on frankly in love I'd mentioned this and it like yeah. piqued your interest. Like, ha- had you heard about the book before I mentioned it? I had never heard of the book before. And I, I still remember because you were going through kind of like you're looking at the books. <laughs> this is pre-COVID, right? So you're, we were in your apartment uh, in Manhattan and you were looking at the books in your shelves. And I, I made a joke about how like there's only four books about Asian American men. And this is the first one you mentioned. Um, and the way you described the character Will was very like it, it made me imagine like a dystopic um, kind of like almost like a cyberpunk setting for the book. Uh, even the even the name of the book, Private Citizens, right? Um, doesn't right. sound like it's a, a book about like contemporary life in San Francisco, which is what it's about. It's based in, it's in it takes place in, I think, 2008 or nine. So like, yeah, it's you like, know, I think 07 to be precise. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. So like the year the iPhone came out, actually, because I was just discussing how like, you know, like th- there's not a lot of um, like, San Francisco has been slightly eroded by tech bros in this book, but like not completely because we're not quite like, you know, deep into the the tech um, 
gold rush, right, that really was picking up in 2012 or so. But anyway, um, the, this one you were describing the character and just like it, it made me feel like the book was a, the whole book, the whole setting was a lot uh, grungier, right? So I've been joking about how this pod is going to be like the uh, the gritty reboot of our Frankly in Love pod. Because Frank, like Frank and Frankly in Love, and we'll, we'll touch on, I think we'll compare him a little bit to Will in some cases, but like he is pretty much happy-go-lucky compared to this bastard. Oh, uh, right? yeah. Yeah. Um, actually, recently I was just thinking: Is there anything kind of like skeevier than than two guys like reading YA and like talking about? It? <laughs> <laughs> like, well, it'd be, it'd be we're doing it'd be, it for critical uh, media studies reasons. Yeah, um, if, if if all these YA books were about like you know preteen women, then this would be a lot creepier. But this one, this one's actually about um, yeah an Asian guy, and I think how how old do you think he is? He's like twenty four, twenty five, in the book. Um, wait, Will or Frank? Will. Will. Yeah, he is probably in his mid twenties. I don't think he's a recent college graduate. No, no, he is. I think more like twenty two, yeah, twenty two. I think he is quite fresh out of college. Yeah, he just came out of Stanford, right? Um, and we should say a word about the the um, the author Tony. Right. Can you pronounce his last name? Because uh, Tony Tula Tumudi. I think he often just goes by Tony Tula, uh, just because it's his last name's kind of hard to pronounce. Yeah. But um, okay, let, let's just give a quick synopsis about the book. So the book mm-hmm. is a story about these four young college graduates, all from Stanford which is also where Tony uh, went to school. And it's about them, you know, like, I guess their first year out, out of college. And you got, you got kind of these four archetypes. One, the character we're going to talk most about, uh, not only because he's Asian, but he's also uh, the, the most interesting character in this book. Will, he's this um, very very skilled, like, tech guy. He's, he's a wizard with computers, but he's also, like, he has extreme racial self-hatred, all sorts of insecurities because he's you know, always been picked on because he's small and, you know, he's like, doesn't really That's come the other off key as thing, cool right? or anything. He's, he's, he's like five foot three or something. He's like short as yeah, well. Yeah. Um, like he's, he's not just like short in the acceptable kind of short. He is actually like, you know, five, short. When like five, four, that is quite, you know, like yeah. uh, getting into the more extreme range. Uh, then there's Corey who is, who's white. I mean, like Jewish white. Um, And she's, uh, kind of like your typical social justice warrior type. She's, you know, really aching to do good, but I think she's always, cons- but she also has body image issues. So it, I think her thing is, am I really doing this because I believe in it? Or is this just kind of like my way of, you know, being somewhat important in this world that otherwise would mm-hmm. not give a fuck about me. Mm-hmm. Then there's Linda who is kind of like the hot girl, hot writer girl type. She does a lot of drugs. Um, you know, gets involved with a lot of guys um, and all that. And then Henrik, who <laughs> I've read this book, I think twice. The second time around, I just skipped all the Henrik chapters because he's just <laughs> not very interesting. He's he's this white dude. His big problem, I guess, is um, his dad was kind of weird growing up. He would like take him, he like, kind of homeschooled him on the road. I, do you, yeah. like, you just read this book. So your mind is more fresh. Like, what's Henrik's story again? Like he like his backstory is that like he just traveled all over the states with his dad. His dad kind of homeschooled him and tried to teach him to be kind of independent and to stay out of the system. But at some point, Henrik I think wants to, you know, he's an extremely smart and exceptionally brilliant guy, right? And wants to integrate himself back into um, society to some extent because he gets accepted into um, I think um, Yale at first and then later transferred to Stanford. So, you know, he's just a strange, like, outsider, very awkward, socially awkward, but also super, like, like all the characters, well, maybe not all the characters, but he himself is pretty self-aware um, of himself and the situation. So, uh, yeah. yeah. And he's, like, stuck 
stuck in this like grad student purgatory um right. and i think that's who he's supposed to appeal to but as i said he, he's the least interesting character in this book all right so yeah let, let's just go right into will um he is i think the personification of like the, the contemporary angry asian guy straight guy mm-hmm. uh has pretty much all the gripes and issues you can think of like you know he's obsessed with uh you know how women perceive him how Mm -hmm. you know guys perceive him in terms of you know being an alpha or whatever and like yeah let's just let's just go from there because there's like very but the good thing about him as a character though is like even though there's very little redeeming him uh he is identifiable in a lot of ways i think even even as a non-asian um you can see where he's coming from and he is as i said ultimately interesting to read about yeah i would say also like him and this is a term i'll probably use a lot in this conversation but like he's very self-aware in the way that i think that tony tula is extremely self-aware when he wrote this book right um like he you know he he talks he like understands and talks about will the character about like his gripes around women and especially like you know how he would behave around like specific especially hot women right um, and I don't know if this is like, again, like the, the character will is maybe reflective of the author, uh, in that there's some self-awareness of like how he's behaved growing up or coming to age. Um, we, we talked a, a lot about this as well with frankly in love and, um, uh, what's, what's the author's name? Something Yoon, David Yoon, Frank, uh, uh, David Yoon. Yeah. 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 And how like often if the character is like that close to the, to the author in, you know, their like race, age, whatever. Right. Um, that there may be a reflection of that person, but like there, there is this, like, I, I kept, I kept asking myself that question. Like, is this character will just like Tony Tula trying to, uh, espouse a little bit about his thoughts on life growing up, um, or at this age. Right. Well, it clearly is just because like, I mean, a will also like Tony is Thai American. Mm-hmm. Um, Tony Tula is also, uh, you know, like physically rather small. Um, and they they both went to Stanford. Uh, they both yeah. worked in San Francisco in I think the tech industry for for a bit. So it's clearly uh, a lot of it is like an so, audience. So that stand. part I'm not sure because like the, like he like will so will like is very much so like almost a stereotype, right? Like the way he's he's played out to be this this uh, dark self loathing Asian guy to the point where he's a he's a tech worker though a little bit independent right because he's, he's like a contractor for the most part he doesn't just work for some company right as some developer i don't know if tony tula i didn't really read into his background if he was like i, I assumed he went to stanford for like you know something more literary uh like liberal um, arts. if i if i know his background if i remember it correctly he actually studied i think something kind of techie although i okay. think he always had ambitions to be a writer and I'm, i think i'm pretty sure he worked uh in like his day job in in the whole tech industry for a number of years before becoming a full-time writer yeah yeah i wasn't sure because like on one hand like th- this book is really well written and i'm not saying like tech people can't be good writers right but on the other <laughs> hand i also found that like his his uh the writing he did you know when you watch like a, a movie with like some hacker shit and they're just like you know enhanced or whatever right like they're trying yeah, to, or, or they're like they're trying to like break into something and there's like all this bullshit on the screen like if you're a, a tech person like me you can tell when it's kind of real. Like Mr. Robot mm-hmm. is a show that actually does a really good job of like using real tech to hack stuff. The, the description of what um, like some of the stuff that Will does with computers in the book is actually pretty accurate. 
um, or at least close close enough that I'm like, oh, maybe this guy was in tech. But anyway, like I, I was really trying to suss out whether or not th- that was a reflection of Tony Tula and what that could mean in terms of how much he's willing to portray in Will. Like how dark was he willing to go? And this, this character is pretty fucked up. Like he does a lot of really messed up shit. Um, but like, does he do it just to kind of like play out like the logical conclusion of the dark Asian male, uh, you know, uh, degenerate <laughs> or, or, or does he hold back because he doesn't want to give that away about himself? Like I had that, that question ran through my head kind of throughout the entire book reading, reading Will's parts. There, there's an interesting interview that Tony gave where he talks about how his earliest writings and and by earliest i don't mean like as like a third grader uh Mm -hmm. you know writing fairy tales i think i think he's talking about kind of like his college plus maybe a few years afterwards type of writing he he actually talked about how he never wrote asian characters and everyone was kind of nice like all his characters are generally good people maybe had one or two flaws uh but whatever and but then at a certain point he realized it's it's much more interesting if he really uh just goes all in on writing unlikable people right uh and he, and he cites someone like philip roth as as a big inspiration uh, i mean and just a random i just read american pastoral i wonder if um the cory character is is some kind of tribute to mary lavov in that but whatever if you haven't read that book none of what i'm saying makes sense <laughs> anyway um so where was i um so yeah i think it really is him uh expounding his own views because i mean the character is so mm-hmm. clearly based on himself obviously um you know he doesn't lose his eyes at the end <laughs> uh, you know, sure. uh, spoiler alert that's what happens at the end uh, we can discuss the the symbolic implications of that later uh-huh. uh but this is clearly uh based on himself his friends people he hated you know that he knew and i, I think that's why it feels real I, I think the first half of this book might be the funniest um part like book i've ever read like I like the first half more than the second half, uh, and, but as I was reading this book, like the, for the first time, maybe about four years ago, there were just some parts that are just like really funny because it is, uh, it, it does really skewer the. I guess now it'd be like older millennial because I mean they, they call yeah. like Sally Rooney a millennial novelist, but she writes about well actually she writes about the same age group, but I think certain publications called it like a great millennial novel. Yeah, it says here on the back like it this been described as the middle march or middle march for millennials, right? <laughs> um, which which I use I use that to describe this to people who've read Middle March and they're like, okay, I kind of get the picture of what they're trying to say here. Um, uh-huh. But I, I'm kind of curious what you like what what did you find funny in the first half, right? Because I I the book is funny for sure. Uh, in a lot of strange, messed up ways. But for me, it was more of like a smirk kind of funny, like, oh, this guy gets it kind of funny. Then it was like, yeah. laugh, out, laugh out loud. That was a really good gag or good joke. So wh- what did you find like actually amusing about the first half? For instance, like the interaction between Corey and Rupa. Uh, yeah. As I said, Corey is the the white, well-meaning girl who's kind of like a stereotypical, annoying social justice warrior type. She works mm-hmm. for a like a nonprofit that's trying to like organize community events that are supposed to get young people engaged in politics. <laughs> I can't even like finish that without laughing. Um, and th- but she lives in this converted loft place that has a bunch of like other roommates that, but they're but they're they're not separated by real walls because it's just a big space and they just have to subdivide it. Yeah. And then there's this girl that she really hates. Her name's Rupa, and she's this uh, she's like this hot Indian American girl, but she's she has her whole whole like kind of like like hippie uh spiritual shtick going on and she's just yeah. very irritating like like for instance she'll she refuses to buy food she'll just go uh 
she'll spend like hours just like going dumpster, dumpster diving, <laughs> and then calls that, and, and you know, it, it tries to do it ethically. And then, but I think like Corey's like, yeah, but you're just doing it because you want to be skinny. <laughs> you know, that kind of that kind of like uh, internal monologue that goes on. Um, the the two of them call each other sh- like call each other out on their shit throughout the entire book, right? Like Rupa is written mm-hmm. to be basically a, a foil to Corey, um, but both of them are kind of like you, you can if you know these archetypes that they're that Tony Tula is trying to describe in these characters, like they're kind of on the same side. Like they're kind of well meaning. They're kind of like you know they're trying to like. I, like Rupa is more kind of self-involved, whereas uh, Corey is more kind of like socially minded. Like she, she cares more about the community and some greater effort. But y- you've seen these types of people, and like the characters are written really just to be a critique of those types of people, right? To the point where mm-hmm. like even Corey's like vegetarianism is is a a like description of how she struggles with everything she does with herself because like for her like even you know like eating meat is something that's still very uh, um, appealing to her throughout the book despite trying hard to be a vegetarian. And I think be a part of like her breakdown, like her physical breakdown when she like starts to fall apart, like her hair is falling out and shit later in the book is because she's not like getting the right nutrition, right? Because of the lifestyle yeah. she's trying to live, because she's trying to be like an environmentally, you know, careful person, etc. So like, I, I actually really liked her. I thought she was like, she's probably my second favorite character in the book uh, behind Will because of how, yeah, definitely. Uh, well done she was as a critique of those types of people that have existed in in you know contemporary times so yeah i mean th- there's this great passage where she thinks she has a an std uh, so <laughs> yeah. i'll just read it um okay on sti literally impossible Corey indulged in online self-diagnosis had she engaged in sex with multiple partners no intravenous drugs no foreign travel no and she resented her answers it would have been nice to earn an STI, but hers was an immaculate infection. So she, she realizes that she um, is, is kind of this, uh, you know, like on, on the social margin, she's, you know, she's not pretty, she's not particularly, you know, charismatic, she's not cool, whatever. So her, so her thing is like being righteous. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that uh, a lot of people probably like ask themselves like you know as like if you're an online activist especially like am i doing this really because i care about whatever cause or am i you know doing it for cloud am i doing it to feel important whatever right Mm -hmm. yeah i'm actually kind of curious what you think like we should talk about a bit about her foil rupa as well right because rupa like we were talking about how maybe she was intentionally written as a a woman woman of character so she would have you mean one of color sorry sorry woman of color uh, so she would have He's some a woman like, of character. That sounds like some <laughs> old nineteenth century designation. Like, oh, you know, uh, Lady Evelyn. She's a she's a <laughs> charming woman of character. Woman of character. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but she. But we. I felt like you know maybe she was written as a as a brown character, so she would have some amount of leverage over Corey, right? In this right, kind right, of because, ongoing, like you know, one upping that people do in today's world of social justice and. That whole sphere of like progressive politics and and like you know status grabbing that we see that we critique a lot in this pod, right? Right. Um. And I think yeah, exactly that. I think in this sphere where you're always trying to get the moral high ground on someone, and that exactly, is yeah. that is the currency. Like very social sphere is all. I mean, some in some spheres it's like literally money. If you go into say the Wall Street crowd, it's all about just you know making it rain, and that's how you you establish your top dog status in this. In this sphere, it's more like you got to have that moral capital. And, th- and there's this great passage. Let me try to find it where it does run up. Uh, c- is because Corey is white 
but Rupa is uh, a woman of color, yet Rupa is far more physically attractive. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's a part where it says, um, this is Rupa, this is a bit of dialogue. I think my background gives me a different perspective. When my parents came over from India, they had nothing. They couldn't like lobby supermarkets. Minorities understand <laughs> power structures. Nikori says, you know I'm Jewish, right? And then Rupa says, um, seriously, you're white. Sorry, but dreadlocks don't give you the voice of color. And it says, this is um, Corey in her internal monologue. Rupa was right, sure, but come on. Like a cute, skinny Desi didn't have it way better than a chubby Jew. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's that, like this like identity yeah. stacking. It's like, you know, it's, it's intersectionalism, right? Okay, you know, this X part of me is uh, has oppresses Y part of you, but you know, Z part of you oppresses this part, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it gets that, That's why the dynamic between those two characters is so good in this book. Cause it, it, and I don't know, like this is what, when was this written? 20, 2012-ish? Yeah, early 2010s. Early 2010s. Like it's, it's a little bit prescient, right? Cause those battles online have just like escalated, right? Yeah, over like the 2012 years. is still pretty early days with Twitter. And, and speaking of prescient, you were talking about, okay, let's get back to Will. You were mm-hmm. talking about how, uh, you know, like the tech part of Will, uh, was it, it? It was believable because you you could tell the writer knew something about it. Like mm-hmm. one of Will's, let's say, hobbies is he takes porn and he deep fakes pictures of real women he knows, right? Like like not like friends of his, but I, I think he just maybe like like a girl he thought was hot in college or someone who he asked but turned him down or whatever, and he puts imposes their face onto these porn videos and in like 2012 like that stuff would have seemed like science fiction but now it is something that uh is that's now- true yeah only in the last like two years one year really did like deep fakes even the term deep fake like didn't really come to be until a couple of years ago or so right so like you know tony tula was like a, a, like 10 years ahead on on that concept even right right I, i'm sure it was like 10 years ago everybody in like silicon valley is probably talking about it i mean oh uh, like me, someone like me, totally, you know, totally out of the loop. Uh, now thinks it's like something weird, but you know, all all this stuff has been in the pipeline for a while, right? Yeah, yeah. But that that is uh that is, it was interesting. He came up with that. I, I I don't like the fact that Will does that stuff. I don't know if he did it with like just random people, but I think he did it. He does it at one point with his girlfriend, right? Um, yes, fine. Yeah, I, I think he does it with women he knows because that's the appeal of it. Because like these porn stars, you know, they they can be hot or whatever, but it, it, he has no connection to them. Right. So once he imagines, uh, even even his girlfriend having all these very probably degrading things done to her, that that's what gets him off. Uh, so okay, now that we're talking about his girlfriend, let, let's talk about his issues with women. He has a complete obsession with white women. Vanya is a former Texas beauty queen who is now a paraplegic and she is trying to become like the Elizabeth Holmes of uh, disabled people. And like Will realizes that if she were say fully able, she would never be with him. Uh, and so in his mind, she's like, you know, I'm, I don't want to say this, but she's kind of like damaged goods. And that's why he's able to get with her. And so, he okay. knows that. So, so I want to level on that, right? Cause I, I actually remember that, was what one of the first things you said about Will when you described him. This is like, what, like nine months ago when we did the Frankly in Love podcast? Yeah, I think that was and in October, November, yeah. Ages ago. And I, and I was like, almost, ten, uh, almost a year ago. And I was like, okay. And then I read the book and then I realized, like, I don't remember reading anything where he explicitly said, or, or there was any kind of narration that said that Will 
had a hang up or like uh um you know he would he he didn't believe that she would like him if she was not disabled and so i wasn't sure of like maybe you inferred that because I, I i agree that that's you know will's mo like he would believe that but i don't think it was explicitly said in the book so i don't know if you i'm you've pretty liked- sure there is a part where he, he acknowledges that like the only reason he even had a chance with her in the beginning was that she was let's say not normal right uh, but, but and, and the, still yeah, I, I guess the point is that regardless of whether or not it was said because i don't recall it being said um the, the point is that like he's crafted a character tony tool has crafted a character where you would believe that that is precisely what that character would think right even right, without yeah. writing it you understand that like he created this vanya character who was disabled as a as an additional kind of like point of complexity for Will's character with respect to his his relationship to women and his his own complete lack of self-esteem right yeah and um, even then as i said um he's still worried that she's going to leave him especially if she gets more successful uh he worries that she's only with him because he is a kind of a tech wizard so she needs him to help her become some kind of like wheelchair influencer uh so so he's riddled with with insecurities right but uh, again i I actually don't so one thing he does throughout most of the book is that he like he basically snoops on her right so like she's like off in new york like trying to raise vc money starting her startup right to be this like influencer for disabled people and he's like installing all this like malware and shit you know all this like spyware on her computer so she can he can keep track of what she's doing read all her emails like snoop on her screen but i don't actually remember anywhere in the book where it says that he's doing this because he thinks that she's going to cheat on him but you can kind of like understand that that is where will's at within his head right where's insecurity right because why would you become so possessive of someone unless you feared they were going to leave you right or that you had there was some danger you might lose them the bizarre thing about him is that he is possessive and that he's like trying to keep track of everything she does, but he's not the controlling one. It actually ends up being that she's a controlling one, right? Because she actually influences him to do a whole bunch of shit, including like getting a makeover, getting a haircut, changing his name, changing his last name, right? To shorten it, to make it more like acceptable to like mainstream audiences. And then at the end, right? At the, at the climax, like getting his eyes replaced basically. Right. Um, well, she encourages him to get the eyelid surgery because right. people, I guess, don't like the way he looks. He ends up getting it. But she's also like, wrong. like, while you're at it, throwing throw some LASIK. Like the whole thing's right, being right. done, right? And and the eyelid thing and the LASIK thing is very much so like, you know, that's it's a very intentional surgery that was chosen, I think, to to say like she wants him to become, maybe she doesn't say this, but like the point is that he is to become not Asian or less Asian. Yeah, less Asian. I also think, I mean, it's the Oedipal punishment, right? Losing his eyes. Mm-hmm. But the, the twist is that he, uh, like so many Asian Americans like him who have this aversion to Asian you know, men or women and uh, an obsession with white people as romantic partners, he probably has some, he probably said some shit in his life where he's like, oh, I don't like Asian girls because they remind me of my mom. So, and, and he sleeps with a woman who's supposed to be the opposite of his mom, but then he loses his eyes like Oedipus anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, you know, what's interesting is they, they don't actually mention Asian women in this book that much. Um, no, they, the closest you get is the the Hapa girl who yeah, the, uh, towards the, the end. 
on the bus, right? Where there's like a yeah, and then there's some guy, some white guy who's like being creepy towards her, and then Will right. you know stands up for her, and then she's like quite young, I think probably like early teens, and he and he tries to warn her. Of, no, I think she's like what what the hell are you doing? And he's like trying to tell her about yellow fever and all that, uh, but then she gets uh, as upset about towards him, and mm-hmm. I think that seemed to mean like to embody like his again his fear that even asian women don't want anything to do with him even when he's trying to be helpful and in fact she might have even resented him for bringing up this whole idea of yellow fever because now any uh interactions with white men or white guys is tainted uh and she and you know especially someone like that young might not want that association they might be flattered by that attention and now right here comes this this ugly short asian guy telling me i gotta feel guilty over that uh yeah yeah sure there'll be some creeps like this guy on the bus but on the whole i would rather get attention than no attention so i that yeah there's really no mention of of asian women besides that yeah but that scene was important because i I think it like showed a couple things like one it was a way to kind of highlight the fertility of the like asian male struggle which is really apt for Will's character, right? He's struggling with himself, his his racial identity and so on. And even in the scene where he's supposed to be the hero standing up for for, you know, this this like uh damsel in distress, he gets he he loses the fight, first of all. And secondly, like she doesn't even want him to stand up for him, right? So there's that fertility yeah. that that's highlighted. And then the second bit is like, you know, the, the, it also shows the kind of like overstepping that Asian men might do in trying to involve themselves in like undo the whole kind of like white male, Asian female interracial relationship issue. Right. Like, which we've seen online, we've seen like really toxic guys, like, you know, get really obsessed with this whole thing uh, and, and maybe try to do something about it. And this scene kind of shows like, Hey, like maybe step back, like maybe it's none of your business in some cases, or maybe they don't want you to even step in because like you're nothing to them. Right. Uh, because once you step in, uh, if they accept your help, then I, I think their fear is now you're going to lord it over them. Uh, they're going to feel like they owe you something. And either they don't want to feel like they owe anything to somebody whom they don't know and trust. I mean, mm-hmm. as a group, because they, they don't know what these guys' motives are. Or uh, maybe on the more extreme end, they actually don't even want anything to do with you. Uh, so even yeah. if you're trying to step in to help, it's like, it's whatever. This is my issue. Uh, you, I don't even want you in the picture kind of thing. Right, right, right. Which I think is a, an understandable stance. Um, so long as I think Asian guys get our own spaces too. So, you know, as I said, this book doesn't really talk about Asian women, but I think it's because it's not really about Asian women. And often when like Asian guys criticize something like, say, uh, the Joy Luck Club, which, Philip, I think you still have my copy, uh, if, I, if, I, if I recall correctly, because I don't have it on my bookshelf. So, And I think you borrowed it. Not that I'm in any rush to get it back. If you lost it, it's fine. But it, I'm sure it's uh, somewhere here behind me. Yeah. But anyway. Often often the, the defense will be, well, it's not your story as an Asian woman's story, which I think is, okay, mm-hmm. that's fine then. But then, like, if Private Citizens is an Asian guy's story, then we should have it too. And I think there there will be some people who criticize Private Citizens for saying, why do you give this toxic guy any attention at all? He should just be shamed into a hole and ridiculed or ignored. And I, I ultimately think that's very harmful because oh, Will is an extreme character. I think, I think, I didn't really like the ending where he, like, loses his eyes because he, he went from a extreme yet believable character to now somebody who is becomes like almost mythical in in the sufferings he endures 
Yeah. But I think uh, on the whole, I think if you're an Asian guy and you read this book and you see a character like him, you can identify with him, but also uh, see the bad parts in yourself reflecting be like, oh, damn, you know, that's I don't want to be like him. <laughs> right. The dark uh, parts, and, right? Like what, what, like seeing this kind of like, um, you know, because I was describing him as like taking the, the dark Asian male character to his logical conclusion, like showing you where the point of no return is, showing you where you shouldn't go showing you where you might not be wanted despite thinking you're wanted there. Um, I felt like that that scene, yeah, with the bus, right, uh, and the fight on the bus, like, highlighted that a little bit. Um, it's also yeah. interesting, too, because, like, both um, Frankly in Love and here in um, uh, Private Citizens, there is a, like, altercation between um, white men, like, aggressors to some extent, and and the Asian protagonist. Right in both scenes, and I kind of thought about that a bit, and I was like, oh, I wonder if, uh, to some extent, like the, the, both you know David Yoon and uh, Tony Tulip wrote this in because we often find ourselves in situations where there's some like racist trans- transgression happening against us, or aggression happening against us, or someone else who's Asian in the case of the bus the bus scene, right? And we didn't do anything about it, and we maybe like think you know you always think like what would what it would be what would have been a good comeback. Right. If someone like, you know, said something insulting to you or or like, you know, attacked you or whatever. Right. Um, I do wonder if there's there's an es- some some essence of that in those two scenes, um, just because they're very, very similar in, in uh, the theme there. But yeah, but th- there's a big difference, because I, if I recall correctly, in Frankly in Love, Frank at least uh, maintains his dignity. Right. I don't know if they actually get into a fist fight, That's but correct. he might. Yes. Uh, whereas here, you remember... Uh, Tell, tell tell the reason what happens uh, to Will when he tries to. Not only does the, the girl not want his help, what what happens to him in the end? Yeah, he gets attacked by this like you know white Australian teenager, and like the guy ends up uh, pulling his pants down, including yeah. his boxers, so we can see his his dick basically. Is what? Oh, I didn't know that. I thought it was just I thought it was just like his jeans. Oh, I didn't no, realize. No, it's described he, very explicitly. Like his, everything was pulled he down. Had full right? Monty. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Which which again like is you know, written intentionally to exacerbate the one, you know, one of the kind of like stereotypes of Asian men, like the, the concern that people can see your allegedly tiny dick, right? That's, that was the point of the scene. So I, I, yeah, very extreme, right? Taken Mm -hmm. to that, to that logical conclusion and, and imagining what Will might feel at the end of it. He just gets off the bus. He pulls his pants up, gets off the bus. And then like that eventually escalates to him making the decision to get the surgery, the eyelid surgery to look less Asian. But like, you know, like it's a pretty intense thing to, to, uh, and I, I would imagine that like an, an Asian guy who read that scene would have different thoughts on that scene as, than if the same scene happened with a white character and a white reader, right? Um, yeah, with a white character, it's just the guy getting pants. Yeah, you don't have, you have fewer insecurities about like, you know, this thing that people have mythologized about you. Right. Yeah, it would either life. be like a very personal, a very you know universal personal fear of being naked, or mm-hmm. just a more general uh, fear of uh, again like being naked. But you know, with a, with an Asian guy, you got that added element where you have this stereotype against you that really attacks you at yeah. your core uh, humanity, uh, specifically as an Asian guy, not not just like as an Asian, because like that stereotype is very is like I mean, duh, it's gendered. It's about your genitals. Yeah. And, oh, what do you think? Okay, like if someone, if so, let's say an Asian guy reads the book and be like, oh, why, why does this have to exist? It just makes us look just twisted. Uh, I don't want to read about this loser. I'd rather read about winners. Like, right. I want to see, uh, you know, like Jung from um, K 
Kim's Convenience, Convenience or, right. or Nick from Crazy Rich Asians, you know, uh, attractive uh, Asian guys who can, you know, who rise above the, all the, the shit that's poured on us. Like, what would you respond to that? That's kind of interesting because like, that's, that's a really good point, right? Because I, I, one thing I wrote in our notes here was like, is the like delinquent, you know, dark Asian male character, the only Asian male character worth writing about? Or, or making, you know, making content, making media about, but it's not right. Like the, the, the other one is the like, uh, over almost overcompensating, super hunky, super ripped, super hot, stereotype busting, you know, almost superhero and soon to be superhero, Simulu, right? They're literally uh, Asian, a superhero. Yeah. Man. Yeah. Asian American. And, and, and we have these like two ends of the, um, of the spectrum. Um, that are displayed here, and and I think you see actually, I honestly, I think in in media you see more of the the hunky Asian, because I think people who write those characters know that they're writing them to be specifically transgressive, because Asian characters were up until recently depicted as long duck dong, right, mm-hmm. and like nothing else basically, right. So so Will's character is interesting actually because there's a lot fewer like of these dark. Um, you know, protagonist, antagonist, anti-hero kind of uh, characters. So I'd say like, no, you need, I think you need to see this side as well, right? And I think it is worth writing about these people because they exist. I think they exist, right? People who like binge shrink, smoke all the time, um, are addicted to pornography, have have hangups and insecurities. They exist. I, I got into this big um, debate with um, Mark slash Adam uh, on Plan A after right after crazy rich Asians came out about the character michael uh who is the like wife sorry the husband of um uh astrid astrid yeah who's like the, super the gemma success- chan character yeah who's super successful and he he's super successful too he's like a he's like a startup ceo i think he maybe he he maybe he's ex-military or something like that as well very buff yeah. guy and so on but the problem is that he cheats on her right and like Mark was kind of hung up on the idea that like, oh, here's another portrayal of like the philandering, um, philandering, philandering, uh, you know, cheating, like, you know, Asian husband, right? Like another negative stereotype that gets, you know, gets thrown around sometimes. We don't need to see more of that. And I actually disagreed. And I said, like, actually, like, I would, I think to some extent you want to see more of these negative stereotypes, right? Because since there's such a like intentional, like, uh, attempt to remove general caricaturized negative stereotypes about Asian male characters in things like Master of None and Crazy Rich Asians and like, you know, Kim's Convenience and so on. You you also don't understand that like they can also be bad people sometimes. Like we want to we want to be able to fill any part of that spectrum of character. And you can't do that just by pushing in one direction. You have to show a breadth of personalities and possibilities, right? And so you do yeah. need to see these wills. Even though Will is like super extreme, he's like really far on the other end. Um, he, but he's also not like a long, long, long duck dong, right? He's also not like, you know, a Fu Manchu kind of character, right? He's like believable and unbelievable, but he's not, you know, he's also not written by white people. <laughs> so I, I think the difference between him and say um, Pierre, who I believe is the the character that you and Adam argued over is that, I mean, the problem with, with a character like that, like Pierre is that you, or I, I think that's the actor's name. I, I don't know. I forgot his real name. My, Michael's the, like, Michael's the name. Oh yeah, Michael. The, yeah, Michael. Yeah. Michael's the name um, of the character. The problem is that you, you don't really know much about him except that he's a cheater and he's kind of insecure about his wife's money. 
Um, whereas Will, uh, for all his faults, you really do get to spend about a, qu- a quarter of a rather long book uh, yeah. getting into his head. And I think that's the difference. And just artistically speaking, if like minorities and, and women are constantly forced to uh, you know, make up for a past uh, bad representation by swinging too hard the other way where everybody is kind of a good you know, goody two shoes. That's mm-hmm. just not very interesting. And I and I think I'll give you a prime example. I'm, this has nothing really to do with Asians, but you compare a show like Girls to Insecure. Now, what makes Girls mm-hmm. such a great show is that it really it kind of goes the equivalent of Private Citizens in that it really uh, it cares about its characters, but it's not afraid to really show them as bad, unlikable bad people. people. Yeah. Whereas I think with a show like Insecure, kind of wanted to do the same thing with the black millennial experience. Be like, we're we're flawed. We're co- we're walking contradictions, you know, whatever. But mm-hmm. you know, none of them are particularly that bad. Yeah, you know, Issa cheats on Lawrence. You know, but it's like that's not that's not like that's not that's not criminal. You know, <laughs> uh, and it, it doesn't it doesn't really rub people the uh, as as much the wrong way as some of these. Mm-hmm. worst characters so I, I think then you're in a trap as a as a you know a minority or a woman where you feel like you always have to write like a captain america type of character and as i said like it, they're just not that interesting yeah because they, they just become a new stereotype right now there's this new yeah. stereotype of like the or archetype of like the like you know buff asian male uh character um, and, and think of the message that sends where you are not worth writing or about unless you are exemplary exceptional which is again which is again i think just not a good message to send to people right and and like you know to be fair like there's redeeming things about will right like will is like one of the few people who uh ends up coming to like visit and help out linda in the hospital after she has her car accident. he he is a good friend i think he and he's very nice to Corey. Yeah, he's, he helps her out with her startup, right? Like, yeah. you know, and, and also, but at the same time, while he's helping them out, he's also like kind of like, he's like, you know, in his in his mind, he's like, oh, I'm, I, you know, I'm such a simp for like hot girls, basically, right? With like Linda, right, but right? he's aware of this as well. Right, but I don't think any of them are, well, Linda, I think, would be the only one who comes close to being a hot girl. I don't think he ever has feelings for Linda, though. Uh, Linda, who actually has a thing with Henrik, you know, like, and that's right. the thing, like, Henrik is supposed to be this dope, you know, because isn't he on a whole bunch of, like, pharmaceuticals and stuff? Yeah, he is. Uh, but he, he he dated Linda in college. He ends up hooking up with Rupa. So, mm-hmm. again, he, that, that's why also why he's not interesting. You know, he, oh, he's supposed to be this pathetic guy, but oh, he happens to get with very attractive women. Not that interesting. Yeah, there's no, there's no struggle to get there, right? Well, there is a struggle, but it seems, like, unrelated to, you know, his thing with women, but... Yeah, it's like that uh, Patrice O'Neill video that you I shared with you and Liza. <laughs> he's he's a creep. He's a loser. <laughs> he the, wants to the, be special. The the part the part with Henrik that I liked uh, going to are like we have a bunch of good passages we should talk about here. Um, is that he has this part where he he like first meets Linda and he like talks through like kind of a taxonomy of creeps. He talks about oh, like yeah. a- apex creeps, which are like the like the bros and like the pickup artists, right? The really aggressive guys. The rage creeps, which are like, you know, in 2009 would be like proto incels or simps, right? Um, there's like the noble creeps, uh, like the enlightened creeps, like male feminists, that kind of thing. So that part, that part was really interesting, I thought, because I felt like um, that and um, this uh, essay that you you did a pod on that Tony Tula wrote, um, what's it called? The it was feminist? actually a short story. Short story, sorry. <laughs> 
<laughs> Sorry. Uh, the feminist was like, it really showed that he has this understanding of like the dark side of men. Yeah. And, and the feminist could easily have been about an Asian guy. I mean, like, I, I think yeah. he was yeah. essentially writing about, well, like male struggle, straight male struggles are at, at its core, share the same kernel of angst and anger and all that. But I mean, and the, the character in the feminist, uh, his insecurities, a white guy with narrow shoulders, which I thought was <laughs> symbolism for being Asian. Um, but or, or being short or being like any number oh, yeah, of being things. short uh, or maybe you, you you have like a underbite or you, you know if you go into these uh you know face masks they call it face masking right um go to these forums they they they've come up with such an exact science to describe male fl- facial flaws oh this is like an incel forum thing uh kind of i think um yeah they have all these terms about you know, your, your eyebrows are sloping in the wrong direction, makes you look like a wuss, you know, things like that. Right, right, right. Um, but let's talk about the the haircut scene, which I yeah. think is, is a good way to finish off this pod. Is it too long for you to just straight up read it? It's about two, yeah, two, and it's two pages. pages. I can I can read it. I can read it. I think it's I think it's good. Um so and this is this is actually the, the second part to my answer of your question of like, what would an Asian guy think reading this character will? And this this particular passage, I thought, um, I actually read it to my wife, and I, I said like, I oh, think what you that, think? Well, I said like, I think you would get a very different like feeling from this passage than I or like Asian men might, because you don't necessarily have the same kind of personal connection or relation to it. Um, mm-hmm. She thought it was really funny, which I thought it, it is. There are parts that are quite funny as well, um, but I think the the actual understanding and the the underlying feeling is different for people who yeah. don't you know who are specifically Asian American men, right? So let me try to read this here. So so the, the context here is that um uh his his girlfriend um is trying to get her get him to participate in her startup on her show, her like live stream show, and he has to get a haircut. Okay. And he got a haircut. This was traumatic. Already Will's hair ran to about eight hundred dollars annually for styling, mentholated conditioners, shape creams, and finishing ointments. His salon in Hayes Valley was all steel and theater silk. The receptionist fi- fixed him a dopio as the board stylist worked in a tea tree oil conditioner. He specified, no highlights or frost, no bangs, spikes, or choppy edges. As she circled his head with considered snips, Will didn't ask, sorry, Will didn't add what he meant, which was not to make him look Asian. It wasn't that he didn't want to look Asian, just that just not like other Asian men. The otaku ponytail, the laissez-faire buzz cut, the bed of nails, the cue ball, the K-pop swoop, or the fugly center part. Accompanying, accompanying smooth or acne faces, hoodies and t-shirts, jeans with ornate stitch patterns. The syncretic aping of Western fashions was doubly agonizing, for in matters of race, you couldn't join them, so you had to beat them. Those who align with the, with the stock, good at form, bad at feeling, tech savvy, word dumb, cunning drones, uncanny clones, kowtowing kamikazes, the overseas sweatshop that produced dishonor or the process dishonor into convenience. But just give it time. Eventually the stereotype overran everything, becoming as plural as individuality itself. Until you were not reduced, but particularized into a stereotype. Asian men, it wasn't that he saw himself in them, but that he resented having to pity them and resented uh, and resented that to everyone else that he was them. 
and that they were him and that they were certainly something, but what? There are no occasions to think or give, sorry, there are no occasions to think or give a billionth of a micron of a fuck of a shit about Asian men unless one was your dad. Ridiculing North Korea, dreading China, resenting Vietnam, fetishizing Japan, the rest a vast humid resort full of greasy food, smog, death, bunks, beaches, and affordable sex. So he was depatriated, Asian by Occident. None of this Asian American bullshit. The hyphen devised to hitch two cultures to an identity. A hyphen was just half an equal sign, a minus. We knew he'd stolen America from North American. Sorry, we we knew we'd stolen America from North Americans. Built it with black slaves, given the hard jobs of Latinos and the Jews had an all-around rough time. But possessed collective authenticities of oppression. But Asians, fuck them. Not so easy to prove negative bias, indifference, suspicions, uh, condescension, disrespect against which one could only whine. If you were going to be alienated, you might as might at least feel more exceptional for it. Yet the sense of Asian men was of conspicuous arbitrariness in a culture of the special, whose social modes of being had been enshrined in national policy, internment and exclusion, conforming yet abnormal. Another and another. Asian men lived in an infinite corner of the Chinese room over there. Asian men wore glasses or didn't. Either way, they'd looked more Asian. The Asian men you saw everywhere once, in subways, under bedsheets, from the sky. Millions lost in revolution and famine. Those who stood beside, behind the point, except when they murdered you. Asian men were good in a bad way, or bad in a bad way, or in a bad way. What was the point? You never knew, because Asian men never explained why they were Asian. And for some reason, we needed them to. Where was the point, geographically, emotionally, when one was at least Asian? What were Asian men if not Asian? Asian men couldn't possibly be human, and they were too clever to be animals. So what were they? So tireless, so cheap, so networked, so remote, so threatening, so uniform, so skilled, so useful, so ascendantly many. Not men, not beasts, but computers. And they, Asian men, were problems. And the problems denial, the allegations that Asian men had created their own problems, had become Will's problem. Though it would be everyone else's suit enough. Would it be a problem if there were no Asian men? Like Stalin said, no man, no problem. There'd be no will. Would that be a problem for will? For what was everyone else's problem? Was it everyone else or Asian men or will or his problem? Will tipped the girl $30 to make up for his hysterical crying and left the salon with an upscale variant of his original swoop. Not generically Asian, not aspiringly white, legibly hetero, expressing nothing else but what it cost. Yeah, so I, I think that sums up the purpose of the Will character in, in this book. It's this very, I think, well-written two to three-page monologue about what it's like being like an Asian dude in today's world, in America at least. Yeah, and it's interesting because like, it, it, it doesn't say it explicitly anywhere, but it really speaks to the problem that I think is like the, the largest problem confronting Asian Americans, um, which is internalized like the general idea of internalized racism where you want to be exceptional, like in your haircut, you want to be exceptional, right? Because you have to be, right? Because the default is, because the default is they don't want you and that's the best case scenario. You you just not want it. Worst case scenario, they they want to exterminate you. So 
and they might want a few of you, but you got to be exceptional. You you got to dance the dance. You got to prove that you bring something to the table. And, uh, you know, for, I think, especially along gender lines, for a lot of Asian guys, we think because of our gender, um, we are already starting behind behind the starting line because it's like being Asian and male is just not very valued in America. So th- that's all true, but not only that, but the, the other pieces, this internalized racism, this internalized hatred and self-loathing is not just self-loathing at yourself, but self-loathing at like everyone who is similar to you around you. Right, because right? like they the remind past, you of yourself. Yeah, They remind you of yourself and they remind other people of what they should think of you, right? And I think that passage like captures that aspect of like the the kind of, um, you know, desire to escape the Asian social ghetto so well. Not not just the uh-huh. social ghetto, but also like the, the, the you know, everything to do with being Asian, like the appearance of being Asian. Like it's like the, the mental ghetto, yeah. Yeah, um, which, we you know, we've talked about many times on, on this pod and others, but uh, yeah, it, it was just an exceptional, <laughs> just, a, just two pages, but like, you know, covers that in a nutshell. Um, and, yeah. and I, when, when I finished reading that, I, I, I stopped for a bit and I was like, how the fuck did he get this thing published? Right. Like it's such a, <laughs> it's such a personal thing. And it, 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 I think that this is, this is, but this is kind of goes back to the, the answer to your question, Chris, of like, you know, should Asian men want to read, what should they think when they read this book and this character, like read that passage or, you know, like read, yeah, read it for yourself and think about it. But, um, there's nothing else like that out there because nothing else has been allowed to to go out there to to describe the experience um, in the same way that, that I found anyway, right? Yeah, the, um, I think. I mean, I I I'm a pretty avid reader. I have been looking. Really, is this is pretty much it? I think. Um, and you know that that's kind of why we're doing this pod uh, for our listeners. If you wanna, you know, you should read this book if you haven't because it it touches upon a lot of things that I think should be more out there but aren't. And I think going forward, more and more people, especially if you are a minority or if you're a woman, just be like, embrace this ugly side of, of the truth. Because, <laughs> you know, I always say, it's like people don't, it's always a hypocrisy that pisses people off. If you're, if you're like not a good person, if you have bad motives and, and stuff, it's like people get it, you know? It's like everyone kind of is the same way. Yeah. But they really, I think rightfully so, get pissed off when you try to mask it all by by not only trying to, gain the benefits of whatever you're trying to get through your less than moral means. Uh, but now to mask it all by seeming moral, it's like trying to have it both ways. It's like, no, if you, if you want to get, if you are like a will and, and you have like racial self-hatred and you're trying to gain weight, white validation, it's like, trust us, you know, we get it, but don't try to mask it by saying, uh, trying to put like a progressive spin on it. No, that you don't get. That, that's almost a lesson from, from the rest of the, at least from Corey, but from the other characters, like trying to put a progressive spin on things. Trying to mm-hmm. win that moral high ground, it doesn't always work out. Yeah, because like, look, moralists are fucking annoying. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> we're way more annoying than just a bad person. Yeah, you're you're only going to hear more and more of that on on this pod, I think. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, we we should wrap it up soon. It's been almost an hour. Uh, okay. Any other things you wanted to to get out there before we close? Uh, not a whole lot. Um, yeah, interesting character. I I would love to see. You know, even though what I what we just said about like this being a great, you know, great, great book, great passage about that part of the experience, you know, it doesn't mean it's the only the only thing that needs to be said. Like, there's still more to be said. It's just, all we're saying is that because he said something very different, it was still worthwhile. Um, so, you know, if folks are reading things like this, getting inspired, like 
definitely want to see more out there about that that experience because we don't have enough of it. Yeah, uh, I'm ve- I'm very interested to see uh, what his next book will be if he if he writes ever writes another book. So yeah, we'll be we'll try to do more books on this pod. Just it, it just takes a lot of time and stuff. But you know, <laughs> pe- generally speaking, people should read more. There's really nothing quite like a book. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. imagine like this having you know trying to turn this into a movie and trying to try to try to get that passive we just read in like visual form not possible. It, impossible not possible at i all. don't even know how yeah. it, would, it would be really yeah. hacky with like a voice uh, whatever so you got to read that's the only way to do it there's a reason why books have lasted for like thousands of years you know it's mm-hmm. um well actually no <laughs> the printing press was only invented a few hundred years ago there's a reason they've been around for hundreds of years um so you know everyone should read more great all right Okay, thanks for listening to this episode of Unverified Accounts. We'll be back next week. This was Chris and Philip signing off. Bye, everyone. Bye.